Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast. All you need to know from around the softball world as we get closer to the mayhem just a couple of weeks away. A selection show less than a month away as we uh, close in on, fingers crossed, everybody, the road to the Women's College World Series and a trip back to Oklahoma City this spring. Uh, our lineup card, if you want to follow along, at 7 Innings Podcast on your uh, on your tweets and your gram. Of course, we got to talk about them dogs this week, the big upset for Georgia over Oklahoma. We will preview the big Washington-UCLA affair this weekend. We're going to hear from head coach Heather Tarr. Uh, special True Blue Umpires podcast coming out later in the week, so we'll preview that. And in our mailbag, America, get ready toe to toe Scarborough and bro whose side are you on all coming up on the seven innings podcast but how about them dogs Smitty right at the top of the lineup you were almost live it in person but on the air calling the big upset Oklahoma 33 and oh and then got beat by Georgia in extra innings on the Jaden Fields walk-off what'd you see Wow. I mean, what an incredible game had that postseason feel. Um, it was exciting on many different levels. Uh, you know what? Gritty, uh, resilient. That's a, a UGA team that just when Mary Wilson Avant is in the circle and throwing a good game, they believe they can beat anybody. They beat Florida last week. They took down the Sooners last night. Uh, you know what? This is a team that is very young. They make a lot of youth mistakes, but they recovered from it. And it was just impressive all the way around. Jaden Fields had that very bizarre uh, home run turned into a triple because she did not touch home plate. So they would have won in seven innings in regulation, but I love the fact that it didn't deter them. They didn't get down on it like, oh my gosh, we blew it. Oklahoma takes the lead. They come back and they... Um, in the, in the bottom of the seventh, they score two runs. So this is a team that you can never count out. And then how about Jaden Fields as the uh, poetic luck of our game would have it. She gets the opportunity to walk off the number one team in the country. And she does it a game winner through the five, six holes. So, uh, you know, I'm very, uh, was very impressed with UGA and Oklahoma on the other side, you know, they just came off that really tough series with Texas um, long travel day, Monday, they didn't look as sharp as they typically have this season, but um, I, I think it's a good thing. A little bit of bad medicine that I think helps them later down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I thought they, I thought Georgia really played with their coach's personality. Sweet Lou, uh, their first win over a number one ranked team in five years since that uh, huge walk-off win in the super regionals against Florida. Uh, America cannot see Lou jumping on the dog pile enough. So we did show that replay uh, from the supers a few years back. Uh, it, it's a team that, that could be dangerous if they can stay in the winner's bracket in the postseason for sure with Mary Wilson in the circle. I thought for Oklahoma, um, you know, it, it showed us a few things. If, if you're a team out there that wants a shot at the Sooners in the postseason, that lineup from, from top to bottom is awfully good. Awfully, awfully good. But I think there are still some questions and perhaps JDH, you saw them as well about how much this pitching staff will be able to stay together um, through the course of the season. It does not look yet like G. Juarez is 100% for seven innings. You're right. I think the pitching staff has a lot to do with it, but then you combine that with the pitching staff for Georgia and game two blowout. Yeah. So how far can you go with a one-headed monster? You've got to make sure you have a complete staff. Georgia, though, Mary Wilson Avant able to hold 
Oklahoma to they tied their lowest hits in a game. That was the third time this year they only hit five hits in a game. And so this time on the opposite end of the win-loss column. Um, but Mary Wilson Avant, so imp impressive in that one, holding them three strikeouts, three walks, but 156 pitches for her. Kayla, what'd you see? Yeah, I thought that this fact that despite Georgia having 10 strikeouts on the day, I thought they really did a good job of battling at the plate. They pushed you, Juarez. They pushed Shannon Sale to their, their max, and they ended up with five walks on the night. And just looked so, like you said, Michelle, gritty and resilient. And that's something we've seen from them. They're a talented young team that really had nothing to lose in that game. We saw last weekend they were playing Kentucky or two weekends ago. They were down seven runs in the sixth inning and they come back and win. So I think that's huge for Georgia. And again, they're a team that you do not want to come to your house during regionals because if they get hot, watch out. The other thing that I thought about Georgia that is a note to take is they've struggled all year defensively. They're a young team. They have Armistead at shortstop with a lot of Akuma. Cindy Kuma is a young player at second base. They've made a ton of errors this season, but I thought they played pretty good defense against the Sooners. Amanda, what did you think? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you. And I feel like a dog is man's best friend and the Georgia dogs are every other team's best friend in the sense that they gave every other team hope that they can beat Oklahoma they made them look mortal. And so with that, we all, I mean, we thought at some point they would lose, right? But still it's like, God, are they ever going to lose? Every team is thinking that every player is thinking, every coach is thinking that, and they made them look mortal. So that's what comes to my mind. And then the other side of things, I thought that Georgia did a tremendous job. We've talked about them a lot, but at the same time, this makes Texas look really bad for what they did last week. And I'm just going to be completely honest. And it, it really has nothing to do with me going to AM, I promise. <laughs> it is, they got, they got run ruled three times against Oklahoma, and Georgia beat them one time. Like, it just, to me, I expected more out of Texas. We went the Oklahoma side of things, right? But I expected more out of Texas. They got run rolled three times. And I think now that makes them look really bad that they didn't show up really in one game to give them a fight. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing at your comment because it's so true, but rarely are you that cutthroat with your words. And so it literally made me choke on my own laugh for a bit. Um, after, after the game last night, I had to talk to Kinsey Hansen because I had so many questions. Question number one, why did you walk Lacey Fincher in the seven? Why? And she couldn't give me an answer. She had no idea. And I think when we think of Oklahoma's pitching staff, they've been so dominant. And that showed a little crack in their confidence to me that they wanted to put her on. Um, second, I asked her when that ball was hit to left field, when Jaden Fields hit that ball to left field, the runner scoring her foot was touching third base when Jocelyn Allo had that ball. So I wanted to know Kinsey's mindset on that throw. And she said, I loved it. She sent me a voice memo. She, there were some cuss words that I can't say, but it was Jossie, nailer, Jossie, nailer. And then immediately that throw is very offline. They had a chance to get her out at home to have a play at the plate. And that really sticks out to me about Oklahoma. We talk about Oklahoma's defense a ton. They are phenomenal. We watch Coleman take balls off the wall and throw girls out at second. The same with Mendez. I feel like as much as we love Jocelyn Allo, as much as she does for them offensively, that is a weak spot in their defense. And I think we learned that in last night's game. Michelle? 
Yeah, yeah, actually, Jen, those are super good points. Um, and, and to me, very obvious plays within the, the game that really stood out. I, I think the other thing that's amazing to me, and you brought it up, Amanda, about Texas. Texas looked intimidated from the first pitch every game. They just, before they walked on the field, they looked intimidated. UGA did not. Mary Wilson Avant came out, and you could tell the first inning she was composing herself. She was throwing some pitches outside the zone, taking deep breaths, slowly working herself into a level of confidence that, hey, I'm okay. I can pitch against this really strong lineup. They out hit the Sooners 11 to 5 in that game, which to me is just incredible. You're talking about a UGA team coming into this game hitting 278 as a team. They do hit 299 against left handed pitchers, but still, you're talking about a 452 sooner batting average as a team. So, completely different offenses, but you would never know it. And, and that is half of this game. If you're intimidated, you're done. You're toast. You have to be confident. And, and that's the biggest thing I was impressed with, with UGA. As young as they were, they were confident and they played with the number one team in the country. And then eventually in the ninth inning, knocked them off. Yeah. I just want to shout out Jenny paper gladiators is right. Texas was scared before they stepped on the field, Georgia, not the case. Hey, I have a, a question that didn't intend to get in the mailbag, but just a question for us to ponder. Cause somebody had asked it. If Oklahoma was in the sec or the PAC 12, do we still feel like they would be at this heightened level of intimidation? What do you guys feel like about that question? I see Jenny nodding her head. Yes. And a lot of times we agree. I don't agree. I think, yeah, they're very good. I think potentially they're one of the best offenses that we have seen in college softball, but I do not feel they would have this gladiator on word Jenny presence. If they were competing against sec and PAC 12 competition day in and day out. So I'll come at that, Jen. I really love the debate because honestly, for me, when I think about Oklahoma, They've had to do a lot without a schedule that has tested them. And I can only imagine how good they would be if they were battle tested every single week. And so we see some of those miscues that we talked about defensively or maybe in their pitching staff. But honestly, if they were in the SEC or in the Pac-12, I think they would be 100% a still a gladiator because of Iron Forge's iron. That's when I say that, I think of Michelle Smith. She says that all the time, but that's the key to being good, being able to prove yourself week in and week out. And that's what some of those other conferences give you the opportunity to do. And that's a big reason why Patty Gasso wanted to schedule these games, get uh, uh, SEC competition. Of course, they still have Bedlam coming up. They will have another top 10 opponent before the season comes to an end. Three games in Stillwater, uh, all with the idea that they, they want to make sure that they are well prepared as they head into the NCAA tournament. They're, even, even in Oklahoma and, and even the Pac-12 schools are, are still talking about RPI and a little worried about how RPI is going to play out. And so, you know, we'll see how the selection committee weighs that. Uh, the other takeaway that, that uh, Smitty and I had, and, um, you know, I, I say this with the, uh, the name of the podcast in mind, too many benevolent balls from pitchers too many walks. Let's attack that strike zone. More on the strike zone coming up uh, on our very special uh, broadcast with umpire Christy Cornwell. That's a special podcast that we're going to release, True Blue, coming up later in the week. All right, let's move on from uh, the game of the year to uh, perhaps the race of the year. The SEC race is heating up. Arkansas still on top. 
trying to break through. It's been all uh, Gators and Tide for the last 12 years, winning the regular season. They have a slight edge over Florida. They only have six games remaining. Florida still has nine to play. They are down one in the loss column. Who wants to lead us here? Gators got the big series win in Tuscaloosa, and now uh, another test coming up for Arkansas this weekend with Missouri. A lot to unfold. Um, I was on the call for the game. So I, the, one of the first things I, I wanted to mention is just, I feel so bad for Claire Jenkins and she's in all of our thoughts and just hoping for the best recovery for her. She suffered a knee injury, um, in game one and just an unfortunate injury considering she had torn her ACL last year. So, um, Alabama just going through so many injuries, you guys, Lexi Kilfoyle is day to day, some nagging injuries. So they didn't have her either. Um, not only in the circle, but she had become a part of their offensive lineup too, swinging the bat with some power and adding some punch to it. And then of course, Bailey Dowling going down with her ACL injury. So Alabama has just been really going through a ton of injuries. Um, and I felt like just on the weekend, both teams were similar in the sense that they had really good moments and really down moments too. And I feel like we've seen that from Florida and Alabama all throughout this season too. Alabama ended up losing two of three to Florida, Florida, uh, lost that last game. They could have won that sweep. And you think of how, um, every single game now for Florida, who's closest to Arkansas in the sec race means something. And so even losing that last game to Alabama, not a bad loss by any means, but in order to keep up with Arkansas who swept Georgia, they're going to have to take every game seriously and try to keep up with it or else Kayla, it's going to be Arkansas's, uh, it's going to be Arkansas's sec championship. Yeah. You talk about how hard that Sunday game was. Alabama hasn't been swept at home since 2004. So it shows you how tough it is to go sweep the tide. And, you know, coach Murphy calls this championship Sunday for a reason. And I think the brightest spot coming out of that weekend for Alabama is that Montana Fouts pitched better in game three than she did in game one. She just gets tougher as the weekend goes. And like so many of the teams that we're seeing across the country, I think of UW, I think of Tennessee, they're going to ride and die on that ace, especially if Kilfoyle's uh, questionable moving forward. So, uh, but looking ahead to Arkansas and UF down, down the stretch, I think, you know, Arkansas has a ton of pressure. They controlled their own destiny and they only have two weekends left. They play Mizzou at home this weekend and then they hit the road for Tiger Park out in Baton Rouge to play a good LSU team. But I think there's a couple of things that I look at. Mizzou is the common opponent that the Gators and the Razorbacks have left. And Mizzou can be tough. They have a really good offense, the number two batting average in the SEC. They're number three in home runs with 61. So they have the offense. They do not have the pitching. So can Arkansas, can Florida take advantage of maybe some weaknesses in the circle for Mizzou? Because I think it's going to come down to how they both play against that common opponent. Because if I'm Arkansas and I'm looking at it and I know our skill set is the long ball and the home run, Man, when you go to Baton Rouge, Tiger Park is one of the hardest parks in the entire country to hit a home run. It's muggy there. The ball doesn't carry as much. So you can't count on the amount of home run production that you would normally at Bogle Park, maybe in Kentucky, somewhere else in the SEC that's a little bit easier to hit home run. But it's going to come down to really good battle between these two teams. Personally, I am a little bit nervous for Arkansas. They've never been there before. Florida has. They know what it's like to take care of business and finish out strong. So I think Florida has a slight edge, even though they're down one game. And my questions with Arkansas are almost bigger picture. I think we've been tracking them all year. They've gotten nothing but better. Now we're talking about them winning an SEC championship, which we none of us would have thought that a few months ago. Now they're ranked seventh in a poll, eighth in a poll. They're potentially should be a World Series team. 
My question with Arkansas now is, will they have underachieved if they do not end their season in Oklahoma City? Jenny, what do you think? That's a really good question, that underachieving question. But Arkansas has never been at the top. And so sometimes at the end of a season, you can get tight as you press. And so will Courtney Dyfel be able to keep them loose enough to play athletically? This is actually, they're in the best part of their season because everybody's healthy. At the beginning of the year when they were kind of rolling, they had a lot of injuries. They had some COVID issues. And so now that everybody's back, are they going to be able to stay at the top? Missouri, what my favorite comment that uh, coach Anderson said about her pitching staff was she said, you know, I said, I asked her, who are going to be your starters for the weekend? She said, well, we're going to throw Susie Allstaff. And I thought that was so perfect because they do. They throw everybody and they mix them all up. And so what will be the perfect pair to be able to throw against Arkansas, who's really been hitting pretty well? It, it is crazy though, to sit here and look at the standings and think that Missouri is a legitimate contender as well. We haven't really talked about them. It's been more Arkansas, Florida, Alabama, but Missouri's played well. They're 10 and five. They sit behind Alabama. Who's 12 and six. And Kayla, you're talking about it. They have a common opponent coming up between playing Arkansas and playing Florida. If Missouri does well in those series, they could gain some wins. I mean, just hypothetically speaking, what if they swept both of those, like they could find themselves at the top of the standings. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really important for Missouri is Hattie Moore behind the dish. She struggled against LSU, and they dropped that doubleheader on the day um, that uh, Jenny came out of the bullpen and, and helped me out. Um, so, uh, yeah, it is a, it, it's a, they're a very good team. Offense, you're right. I think the, the pitching, Amanda, is the one question mark, but they have to have Hattie Moore strong behind the dish. She had a couple of errors coming out on bunts, a couple of um, receiving errors, ball getting past her. So, if Missouri can be a complete team and just really be tight, I, I do, I think they're going to surprise a lot of people. I know when I look at the standings, I'm like, oh, look at, look at where Missouri's at. It's, yeah, it's fun <laughs> to see that. I think it's fun to see that. Yeah, y'all. So uh, top four, of course, will get double buys. It and uh, it will. We'll have the entire SEC tournament for you. It's our uh, championship week, May twelfth to the fifteenth. Uh, we have uh, the Big Twelve championship. We have the ACC final on uh, Selection Sunday, the sixteenth. Uh, that will be our selection show on Sunday night. NCAA tournament will get underway May twenty first, and the Women's College World Series will start June third. Some of the key dates on the road to the Women's College World Series. This is the Seven Innings Podcast. JDH, Bro, Scarborough, Smitty, Shro, Bimo, and Jess Mendoza is with us this week. Ha- uh, was out in Seattle, I believe, throwing out the first pitch at the Mariners-Dodgers game. And while she was out there, uh, she swung by the Montlake, one of our favorite destinations on the road to the Women's College World Series, to check out what's going on with UW as they get set for their big series in LA against UCLA. So let's head there. We'll hear from Heather and Jess and then jump into our preview of the Huskies and Bruins. Here in Seattle, Washington, just left the softball stadium, a beautiful, what, 70 degree day. Help set the scene. Well, you know, we were a little bit bored of the softball stadium, being that this is actually Husky softball day off. So, you know, thought we'd take Jess down to the waterfront in Seattle by the Ferris wheel and looking at the beautiful ferries and the Puget Sound. That's where we're at. Oh, beautiful day and beautiful weekend. Sammy Reynolds 
ridiculous Pac-12 Player of the Week. Tell me about her in this last weekend. Sammy, oh my gosh. Um, actually, she probably had one of the most difficult weekends of her life the week before at Oregon State, actually. I looked at the weekly stat report. And I usually don't look at those because <laughs> I kind of take average as an average, you know, and I was like, whoa, Sammy, I think was 0 for 14 against Oregon State. And I can't even imagine, you know, it's probably killing her. She wasn't helping the team. She didn't think. And um, you know, she actually came to me this past week and told me what she needed. And she said, you know, this or that. And she had a pretty frank conversation about like what she needed from me personally as the coach. And I just thought it was such a cool thing for her to come to me and have the confidence to talk to me about what she personally needed. Um, you know, I was thinking, okay, cool. Good for you, Sammy. And then here she goes, you know, she just goes off this weekend, hits a home run in every Every single game. game. So it's a pretty cool evolution to see her growing and learning and doing her thing. Talk about growing and learning. Bailey Klingler. Offensive production. And and there was a lot of that last year, but it was, was cut short, you know, transferred for, from A&M, wanted to play with Sis Bates, just her entire story coming from Texas, but just seeing her production and how well she has taken off. Yeah. It's, it's awesome to be able to get players that want to be really good at softball. And Bailey Klingler is that, you know, she was a, uh, she was, you know, freshman at A&M, you know, great program, amazing facilities. And um, lo and behold, she gets in the transfer portal and find out she wants to come to Washington. And we're like, all right, we'll, we'll work with this gal. Um, but she's been a, a joy to coach. And, um, yeah, she had a great start to a year last year. But she's a big part of our lineup and a, a big part of our defense now at second base. When you get a player like that that comes in and, you know, transfers are happening more and more, but how, how do you kind of, obviously she's already developed at Texas, Texas A&M as a freshman, everything that she had been doing, but how do you kind of dive in to everything that you can continue to add to, even though she'd already played a college season? Well, we, you know, we had a little bit of experience with a transfer from Missouri and Casey Stengel um, years ago, and you just kind of understand what they're coming from. You know, they're coming from obviously another big time conference. They understand the, the toughness of a hard, you know, a hard conference. And I think we already knew that she was going to be ready to, to do something. But, um, you know, it's like you're being a freshman twice. So she had to learn her ways at A&M and then she had to come to Washington and figure out how we do things here. And so I think, you know, it's a credit to her wanting to be growing and and growing going through that once again i mean that's a challenge for anybody so she's been fun i think um probably my only complaint with her is she doesn't strike out enough (laughs) you look at her walks to strikeouts i mean it's like i don't even know what it is now it's like five to one um craziness you know she's tough to strike out uh but sometimes i think she could hit a few more home runs and hit for a little bit more power if if she took a few more you know, swing and misses here and there. I love that. I mean, that's so new age though. Cause you think about it even 10 years ago, like you would never say that it's all about on base, putting the ball in play, but to have that mindset of just taking a hack and it's okay to swing and miss. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely doesn't miss a lot. And <laughs> it, and you know, it's, it's funny. It's hard to coach a player into letting, yeah. you know, letting, letting it go. If you, if you can't hit it or, you know, not being always swinging swinging but she's she's a joy to coach you know she's playing a little bit of right field she's caught a little bit for us this year totally versatile player played a little bit of third base but she's kind of settled in at second for our offense and defensive purposes all right big weekend coming up you got the defending champs um, from two years ago the ucla bruins sunday's game is on espn tell me about this weekend 
I, I think it's a great opportunity, one, that we get to be showcased on ESPN. I mean, that's huge. With UCLA, I mean, obviously a great program. We have a ton of history against them, with them. Um, four games against our Pac-12 opponents. It's a challenge, you know. We got one game Friday night, two games Saturday, and the game on ESPN will be on Sunday. And um, we just want the world to see Husky softball, and we know you're going to be in for a great game. I love it. All right. Thank you, Heather, and good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Jess. Michelle, you and I will be on that game. We had a chance uh, to talk with Coach Tarr. We'll we'll hear from Kelly Enoy Perez um, a little bit later in the week. But this is a this is a monster mash. This is a top five showdown, um, and you know with the uncertainty around how things are going to play out with the uh, selection of the sites for the regionals and the supers. You know these head to head Pac-12 games could take on a lot of meeting meaning if there isn't as much money to fly teams out West and we're going to force some of the West coast teams to fly East. Yeah. This is an intriguing matchup on many levels for me. I'm super excited to see a Rachel Garcia, Gabby Plain matchup. I think, you know, you're going to have amazing rise balls at the top of the zone from Garcia and Gabby Plain's drop ball best in the business uh, with Sis Bates in that shortstop position, scooping up anything on the dirt. So um, I think that it, it comes down to, these teams just executing. I mean, that's really the bottom line. I do know for Washington, the question is, how are the arms behind Gabby playing? It's a little bit of the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, you know, on what you're going to get. So I think it's going to be important for those pitchers for Washington to be efficient, put the ball on the edges, on the corners, and try to make some speeds and just let the defense that is very good uh, get some outs for him when Gabby playing is not in the circle. But I do feel like Gabby is strong enough that they can throw her back-to-back days or even split her on uh, game game one and game, which would be four, even though it's it's the, the third game that truly counts. But uh, the fourth game, I think, is a conundrum for all the Pac-12 coaches that they have it. They wish they didn't have it right now, but they do have it and have to figure out how to get through it. What do you think, Kayla? Well, I, I just wanted to ask exactly that. I, what would be your guys' strategy, your coach for either UCLA or UW? When are you going to try and throw Gabby Plain? Are you going to try and hit her against Rachel Garcia, against Megan Faramo? Who are you going to try and match them up in which games? Which, what do you think, Jen? Well, I was able to talk to Morgan Flores on the phone this morning, and I asked, hey, how's it going? It's your senior year. She's a sixth year. You know, I've known her since she was 11 years old. And the very first thing she said, Kayla, was, we're just trying to figure out who our number two pitcher is. Like, it was just this huge, like, I, I don't even know what to do anymore. Like, we're just trying to figure it out. And so told me that their plan was going, they're going to throw Gabby game one. They're going to throw Gabby game two. And she says, game three is a cluster. It's, it's whoever, whoever gets the ball, gets the ball. However many pitchers are able to throw um, will go. And they're just trying to figure it out. Beth, I'm not sure if that's the same info or intel you were getting from Heather Tarr, but that's what Morgan shared with me this morning. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think there's any reason why if she's throwing well, they, they couldn't throw her Friday, Saturday and Sunday in the three games that count if they wanted to. Heather obviously would rather she not throw 300 innings this year, but <laughs> when you're winning with her and she's still undefeated, um, you know, they've already done it that way with Danielle Laurie when they won the national championship in 2009. They they may try again, but um, we got we got great stuff um, on Megan Flores too. When we talked to Heather, she's been through a lot this year. Uh, another Schrodinger of Jen Schroeder. Um, so that that's going to be another fun story, I think, for a lot of players. Um, you know, mental fitness is just as important as the physical side of the game with all that they have been through. 
in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months. So uh, that, that'll be part of our game um, nationwide on ESPN on Sunday afternoon, Jen. I, I was also able to talk to Sis and Rachel yesterday, and it was really interesting because I asked them both, hey, who do you guys think is going to win this one? Like I asked Rachel straight up, you think you guys are going to sweep? And she could not say yes. And for any of you who know Rachel Garcia and know how competitive she is, that speaks volumes to me. So it's so interesting. Another fact is UCLA is finally letting player guest fans in, but the caveat is you have to be a California resident. So a lot of these UW players, their parents cannot watch unless they have California IDs. Obviously, for someone like Sis Bates and Morgan Flores, their parents are getting to come to a ton of games. They'll get to see them at, you know, in L.A. But it's a very interesting experience for some of these UW players coming home or coming to California. And some of them are going to have their parents there. Some of them aren't. So I think from a standpoint of who's going to win this series, it is always a great series. The last time they played. We have to remember 2019 at the World Series with the Rachel Garcia walk-off. That's the last time they competed against one another. So there's a lot of history here. There's a lot of feeling, and the atmosphere is going to feel very different to all of these athletes. I'm pretty sure that's how we're going to come on the air on Sunday afternoon, that 2019 epic showdown. Bearing in mind, too, you know, the significance of this matchup, obviously UCLA went on to win the national championship in 2019. The year before that, Washington was in the champ series and got upset by Florida State. So you've got tremendous postseason experience and depth on these two rosters. Not to mention, by the way, uh, Smitty and I are hoping to see two Olympic pitchers go toe-to-toe in that uh, matchup on ESPN on Sunday. Don't forget, still coming up in the mailbag, toe-to-toe, Scarborough and Bro. We're also going to shag some stats We've got our player of the week, and I guess this is a good time to roll on over into our player of the year conversation, since we will see Gabby Plain and Rachel Garcia perhaps over the weekend. Those are two names that come to mind. Uh, We just saw Jocelyn Allo and T.R.A. Jennings for Oklahoma. Got to toss out Braxton Burnside and Mary Half. They may be your player and pitcher of the year in, in the SEC. Uh, who wants to start us off with the uh, conversation, Amanda Scarborough, you're the winner, um, about our player of the year candidates and who you like right now with about a month or so left in the regular season? You know, I, I think that you name the ones that I feel like personally will end up um, in the top five, but I feel like too, you know, um, the top 25 list will be coming out and then they'll narrow it down to 10 and then they'll narrow it down to three and then they'll pick the winner. So I feel like it's an honor just to even be on the top 25 list and then to be in the top 10 list. So uh, saying a couple more names that have uh, stood out to me as somebody like Kayla Weddle uh, at UIC, I feel like she could find herself on the top 25. 25 list. Um, her stats this year have just been insane. She's hit 10 home runs, 39 RBIs, like has done an unbelievable job for them. And then, um, Valerie Cagle definitely stands out to me. I feel like we haven't talked about her enough for the year that she is having her ERA is 0.9 20 game winner. She's also hitting 380. And she has eight home runs and 30 RBI. So talking about a two-weight player who, who does both, who could honestly be on there just for her pitching stats alone in the top 25. And then you add what she's done offensively. She's somebody who I feel like 
we're not talking about enough, but she's a freshman who might end up even in the top 10. I don't know. I, you never know how these things are going to pan out, but I feel like, uh, I feel like she's a good one. Um, I, I'm going to jump in real quick. Uh, sorry, Kayla and Jen. Um, we've thrown a lot of great names out there, but I find it ironic that we haven't really talked about Jesse Harper, who potentially could be the all-time home run leader and break Lauren Chamberlain's record. Uh, she's got 19 home runs on the year. Now, granted, she is only hitting 336. Okay, now only 336, but that's because we've got so many other athletes that are hitting over 500. So it seems like this is a, a down year for her. I hate to say that. that that's a air quote. Um, but I, I, that's just how many great players there are this year. The potential uh, home run champion, um, maybe we're not even considering her for the player of the year. I don't know. What do you guys think, Kayla? Uh, yeah, I think it's such a tough uh, thing when you look down the stretch is do you want somebody that's a hitting pitcher that does both things mm -hmm. so well? And, and Rachel Garcia is the front runner for that. And I like Valerie Cable as well. Somebody that can do both things incredibly well. But then do you compare that to somebody like a Jocelyn Allo who's hitting above 500 right at actually 500 right now with the amount of power that she has with 23 home runs? I don't know what the comparison is like. Do you are you looking for somebody that just hits for high average high power or do you want somebody that's more diverse that can do defense and offense exceptionally well? Uh the other player that I always go back to and look as a huge standout for me is Kayla Kowalik. We don't talk about her enough, but she's batting 532. She's got 11 home runs, 16 stolen bases, and she's a catcher. So she's, for me, just a well-rounded as it gets in terms of speed, average power. She can bunt, she can hit, she can slap. She is just a absolute gamer. And I actually like her for SEC player of the year. She's my dark horse for SEC player of the year. Hmm. Kayla, I think that you're actually reading my notes because those three players you just named are the three that I was debating my own self before this podcast. I don't think we talk about Kayla Kowalik enough at all. I don't even think if we've talked about her at all. She's the NCAA leader in average currently. Then you look at Jocelyn Allo. We've never had a triple crown winner in the, and, and the, the NCAA. It's never happened. But then I've got to look at Rachel Garcia and you're all going to think I'm a homer here, but she may be the quietest, most successful player this year. Her ERA is 0.47, second in the country. She's hitting 408. Her on-base percentage is over 500. And how can you take away those stats from a player who can do it on both sides of the ball? It's just like when you're talking about a person who changed the game, absolutely changed the game. You're right, Jen. Those are the three names that come to mind. And Kayla, to your point, I love Kayla Kowalik. I love what she brings to the game because she is behind the dish, but she also plays center field as well. So she's got wheels. You mentioned her stolen base numbers. She hits for home runs. She hits for average. So I really do like her. But my question to each of you, does the player of the year necessarily have to come from a team that is at the World Series and going to win a national championship? I, I mean, historically the answer is yes right but Kayla Kowalik is Kentucky going to be able to get there they've found themselves out at super regionals for multiple years in a row have not been there since I believe 2007 and so when it comes to Kayla Kowalik does she have her name out of the conversation because their team may not be in postseason contention in Oklahoma City what do you guys think I, I think you probably have to be the player of the year in your conference probably first and, and foremost can I say two weeks in a row, get out of my head, Beth Mullins. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. 
Ro was in your head last time, not me. Okay. Um, I, I will say this, and, and I, I love the dual threats, the pitchers who can rake, uh, but Alo is one Kayla Kowalik away from a triple crown, which is just ridiculous. And if she can do that, uh, I, I think she is probably the one. If Missouri wins the SEC, I got. I think we got to consider Susie Allstaff, right? Um, she would be one uh, that Jenny Dalton Hill would probably probably vote for. Um, but I think Susie's disqualified. Uh, but uh, yeah, interesting pitcher of the year conversation as we head down the stretch. Some players to watch and uh, to keep an eye on for that coveted honor. Uh, good stuff, everybody. All right, uh, down the uh, lineup card, number six, uh, we wanted to preview. We've got a very special uh, podcast that we'll release tomorrow. It's with Christy Cornwell, one of the coordinators of softball umpires. And uh, she had some great stuff about the strike zone, about obstruction. Uh, she was reading physics books. She was talking Star Trek. Um, and she uh, said, cut it out when you catch and drag, Jen Schroeder. What was your takeaway or what should folks look forward to with our special Umpire True Blue podcast? I love just getting some insight of how COVID has affected umpiring, not just from a lack of reps, which was a huge point of contention for her, but also that umpires like teams are their teammates. They normally carpool to the game, share hotels, go eat, and, and they can vent to one another about what's happening. And their ability to do that has completely been taken away. And so that was really interesting to me. And then, of course, as a catcher, I loved listening to her talk about the catcher relationship and how catchers can potentially gain some more strike their pitchers and their teams. I also really liked how simply she breaks down when an obstruction call should be made and how she explains it. I mean, makes, it's not in rule book terms, right? It gives you the layman's version of when what an umpire is looking for and when an obstruction should be called. So I would really encourage each of you listeners to go and listen to that explanation to make sure you're understanding what you're looking for in a game for that call to be made. Jenny and I agree. I think I think the key word is understanding because I feel like the fans and everybody we've been understanding of what these programs are going through, the players, the coaches, but it's really easy to overlook the umpires, what they've been going through. 42 of her umpires opted out at the beginning of the year and the majority of those, it was because they had um, either family members they worried about or they themselves were maybe older. And, and that translate into more experience, right? The more experienced umpires were a lot of the ones that opted out. So it's just a different level of umpires. There's just like we have freshmen coming in, there's freshman umpires coming in. And so, you know, it's a learning experience for everybody and it's been a tough year for everybody. So I love the fact that she's expanding on things that, that we never see and that we don't know and, and just educating people to, to have a little bit more understanding of what these umpires are going through. Well said, Smitty. And, and while we're all excited to have fans uh, back in the stands and hopefully more and more to come here in the coming weeks, uh, with smaller crowds, we can hear you. You know what? Parents, friends, fans, knock it off. The umpires are doing their best. We don't need to hear you screaming obscenities at them from the cheap seats. And I'm off my soapbox. Okay, it's time to have some fun now with uh, the mailbag. And uh, Amanda Scarborough has your questions don't forget to send them in to us at seven innings podcast and hopefully we'll make you famous scarborough what do we got this week the first question from mac daddy 
Uh, Mac Daddy is from Maine, but an Alabama fan. The question is, do you think teams like Washington and others have a true chance at getting a national championship with only one strong arm in the circle, or will it come down to two aces like UCLA, among others, that they have this year? I think it's going to take more than one. You know, in years past, we were able, before the championship series was a thing, it was easy to get through the postseason with just one arm. But I think the championship series is the difference maker in terms of winning a national championship with just one pitcher. So not only do you have to get all the way through the Women's College World Series, but you also have to get through the championship series and win two out of three. Michelle, what do you think? I think your um, your offense becomes your second pitcher. If you're a Oklahoma with the G Juarez, if you're a Gabby Plain with Washington, I feel like uh, when it comes to crunch time, Gabby will get the ball every game. G Juarez will get the ball every game until she can't go any further because I think both of those staffs have kind of proved that behind them there is a massive drop-off. So if the if the runs can be put up on the board, I'd rather have a G Juarez in the circle that's maybe give up five runs because I know my offense is going to put 11 runs or 11.8 runs up on the board, which is what Oklahoma's doing right now. So I think, I think that really becomes the, the key is how's the offense look before those one-arm bandits? Uh, and then the staffs, they're going to be a little bit harder to um to prepare for but uh it still comes down to you got to defend it behind him and put runs up on the board yeah well i think the other factor too that plays into this conversation is do you stay in the winner's bracket or do you have to go through the loser's bracket because it's a huge advantage to have a staff when you're in the loser's bracket but when you look at some of these pitchers and their ability to throw game after game after game i love this discussion because there's just some pitchers that find it within themselves that it doesn't matter how tired I am. It doesn't matter how many pitchers I pitches I've thrown. I'm going to go out and give them my absolute best. And I think somebody like a Mary Wilson Avant was a great example of that this week through like over 150 pitches in that game against Oklahoma. And sometimes it's just, you let it ride. You let what's happening, the emotion, the confidence, the competitiveness take over and you can potentially ride one. It's a lot harder, but you can potentially ride one pitcher. And Kayla, that, that brings up a great point. Any of those teams that we're talking about that really truly have the one ace and, and then there's a drop off with two, three, and four, you're preparing for that now. You, you're going out and you're throwing a 120 pitch workout and then you're taking an hour off and maybe throwing another 120 or 150 pitch workout simulating as if you're throwing a double header in a day if by chance you have to do that. So you're getting yourself ready for, you know, plan B. Hopefully plan A is it's one game a day and you just play a single single game every day but you've got to go back uh, to a to a plan B just in case. What do you think, Beth? And let me just posit this. Can Florida State win games two to one, three to two with a starter, Sandercock, a middle reliever, Watson, and a closer, Kalen Arnold? Why can't you throw all three of them back to back every day? Just a thought. Amanda. Well, and speak and speaking and speaking of them, I, I was thinking about Megan King and what she did in the World Series, how she just had the ball every single game and won them a national championship. But she did have Kylie Hansen with her all throughout the year and all throughout the postseason before that. So it, it it's a fine line between one pitcher can't do it when when you make it to the World Series, but I feel like you need two in order to build up to it. But anyway, next question. Uh, this is from Kristen Johnson. And I want to preface this one by saying that there's a rule, uh, rule change year coming up. So this has been a, a topic of discussion that has been in the Twitter verse with this question specifically, 
She's from San Diego, Beth. She's just a general softball fan. Um, and she wants to know, should college softball get rid of the eight run rule, which to again, preface this, I've seen some suggestions. Um, I think it was from Michigan state's head coach, Jackie Joseph about changing it to a 10 run rule. So this is out there and this is going to be for consideration on the ballot. If that should get changed from eight run rule to 10 run rule, what do we think? Well, as, as much as we all love to watch softball, uh, that, that second, uh, Oklahoma, Georgia game was a, a, a tough one, uh, to follow along with Smitty and I dove deep into our bag of, uh, tricks to really find conversation pieces. Um, maybe if there is some sort of, uh, if it's, you know, 10 runs after four, eight runs after five, maybe if there's some sort of, you know, casual, but when they drop an eight spot on you through the first couple of innings, Oh boy. That 10 runs is a long ways away at, you know, uh, two hours later, Jen. I, I agree with you, Beth. I think, I think I'd be okay with maybe scaling it where, okay. It's, you know, 10 after a certain eight after a certain, but Amanda, Jackie Joseph was the one who brought that up. And in her tweet, she referred to the run rule as institutionalizing quitting. Those were the words that she used to describe the run rule. And I love Jackie Joseph, but to me, that sounds like somebody who maybe gets run ruled upon a lot. I don't think it's institutionalizing quitting at all. I think that your team needs to be a little better, right? I mean, it sounds terrible, but Kayla, maybe I'm the mean girl of the group. I don't know. I I agree with you. I don't think it institutionalizes quitting. I think it adds incentive and strategy to the game because it is a huge deal if you're an offense to go out and say we know we need to score two runs right now in the fifth that ups the competitive level for the team that's winning in my opinion and if you can't hang with them like you said it, you didn't make it in time you didn't score in the first five innings like best of luck to you next game well and it used to be 10 you know they changed the rule made it eight and we always called it the mercy rule and I actually really like that rule or that name because it's showing mercy, not only to us who have to talk about it and dig in that mailbag deeper and deeper, especially in a doubleheader. You've already used them all, right? More than that, just figuring out the strategy of it all is a lot more important. And so if you're eight runs behind and you've had that many outs to work with, yeah. call, mercy, call uncle, game over. How old are you, JDH? When was that a 10-run rule? Come on, back in college, wasn't it, Ted? Back, was that back in the Chuck and Duck days? of uh, Chuck and Duck, I heard you talk about it last night. Yep. We got a Chuck and Duck reference in there. I got to throw this in there, too. Has anybody watched, like, a nine-inning baseball game that's, like, 25 to two and uh, <laughs> six and a half hours? We don't want to go. We don't want to trend that direction. If they change this, I, I am definitely going after a poke my eye out emoji. <laughs> I am going to make sure one is made because I will be sending it out to you all if I'm ever stuck on a game like that. <laughs> You're just prolonging the inevitable. Like how many eight run comebacks are there ever in a season or in the history of our sport? There aren't really that many. Okay. Baylor's going to say, don't I know. I knew you were going to bring it Baylor series. at the world series. I know. I know. Was it, what was this? Was that eight runs already? Or was that on the break? I think it was seven. seven. Yep. And then they came back to win it eight. Yep. And Kentucky earlier this year was down eight. Right. But they made it back before the break, you know, before the break and ended up winning it. Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. Kentucky yeah. coming back. Yeah. 
Okay, and one other thing, remember, it's only eight runs at the at the at the fifth inning, right? You just have to score one run, right? So then it becomes seven, and then you can ship your way back. So it's the timing of when it's the. Eight. So it seems like eight is a good threshold, correct? That's what we've all. Yeah. And then we don't get Smitty started on how Grand Slam's a rally killer. Okay, when you're down eight runs, don't go there. Hey, I can dig into my tool bag too. Oh my gosh. I'm dying. Tool bag. We'll go back to the mailbag. All right. Mandy from Clemson. So head to the ACC. Uh, Mandy says Clemson continues to win with only four losses to ranked opponents with the team being primarily freshmen and COVID freshmen, as well as having a stud in Valerie Cagle. How far do you think this think into the postseason this team can go for anybody answers want to let everybody know that South Carolina and Clemson play tonight which is Wednesday on SEC Network the first time ever so we have a new rivalry forming that will be fun um and also to her point Clemson has 19 freshmen and COVID freshmen on their roster so how far do we think that they can go into the postseason what do we think I think it's I, oh, sorry, Michelle, you no, go. No, I think it depends where they're sent. What do you think, Jen? <laughs> that, d- yes, depends where they're sent for sure. But I was going to say that I think if there is a dark horse at the World Series, it's going to come from the ACC. And it could be somebody like a Clemson, depending on where they're sent, or a Virginia Tech from the ACC. A lot of people may say, Duke, throw them in there. I think that to me, they've, they've lost a little bit as the games have gone on. I think Clemson or Virginia Tech could be the dark horse that makes it to the World Series, depending on who they match up with in a regional or super regional. I wouldn't be surprised if either, if both of those, along with Florida State, are hosts, by the way, for at least the regional round. You're talking about probably second and third place right now in the ACC, which looks a lot stronger and a lot deeper. Yeah, and I didn't mention Florida State, sorry, only because I don't view them as a dark horse, even though they're from the ACC, so that's my bad. Well, and who wins the ACC championship too, right? You get mm-hmm. the automatic qualifier and then gives you a little bit of boost to try to be able to host. Now, granted, we'll know those host sites prior to that, but honestly, to be able to come in, I think you're right, Jen, Clemson and Virginia Tech, both going to be able to make a run in the postseason. An interesting one. All right. Last question. It's from Tom. Favorite team, the Gators. Could Amanda strike out Kayla? I feel a little awkward asking this one, but it was too specific and kind of like a cute, fun question to leave out. So what is Tom's answer? You guys, All right, Scarborough, <laughs> first of all, your pitching repertoire again was, can you, uh, so drop and screw. So work away from a lefty and Kayla okay. and bro. I love the drop in, ball in bro's day. You were allowed <laughs> to step out of the batter's box to slap. Like, yeah, I was. <laughs> Okay, so that's the rules. Okay. Okay, hold on though. Are the rules present day? No, no. Situation? Their day. Their or day. Or past performance, past. I say uh, conditioning. Day. Are you asking if Amanda could strike me out today? It's Scar. It's got to be Scarborough pre-boot. It, no, Scarborough's not wearing the boot. It's pre-boot. 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 Yeah, definitely pre-boot. Um, I don't know. Maybe drop third strike. Kayla gets on. Hey, I'll say this, Amanda, if you strike me out once, you're not going to do it again. <laughs> oh, Tom, that was a cute question. We'll leave it at just. Yeah, I, I think we're both great competitors. It would have been a really, really great at bat. <laughs> cute question. Thanks for all your questions. It was an awesome mailbag and we'll do it again next week. Well done. Well done. Toe to toe Scarborough versus bro. Let's shag some stats, ladies. 
this week on Shaggin' Stats. All right, I'll start us off since we have on uh, on national television on Friday evening, we go back to Big Ten country. Uh, the last time we were there, Northwestern was in first place, and then uh, they got taken out behind the woodshed by Minnesota. And now we arrive at Northwestern trying to get some revenge against Michigan as uh, the Wolverines were the beneficiaries, and they are now in first place in the Big Ten. So Michigan will go into that series number one in the nation in ERA, uh, 0.85, and Alex Storacco, number one in the country ERA, 0.41, has only allowed five earned runs in 86 innings pitched. Shagging some stats, trope. Talk about another pitcher, Sydney Backstrom from Longwood. This week, she earned her fourth Big South Player of the Week award. She threw a perfect game. Not just a perfect game. Not one ball left the infield all game long. Her opponents on the year are batting under 200, but they batted zero uh, this past week. So, Jen, I just wanted to add on to that perfect game stat because there was another perfect game thrown by Northwestern. It was Danielle Williams able to perfect game against Iowa, only took 90 pitches. And, guys, it was the first time that Northwestern had thrown a perfect game since April 28th of 1984. So it's been a while. Nice job, Danielle Williams. Um, so my shagging stat is actually – I've always gone with the stolen base numbers and Kayla. Are you double dipping on shagging? Dipping. I you am. Double, I'm sorry. I have to. Of the week. I, okay. I'm not a pitcher, but I had to give her a little love. So I'm going to go to a hitting stat for shagging stats. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when you have a high average, typically I think of slappers who are able to put the ball on the ground and use their wheels to get there. But of the five players in the country hitting over 500, four of them are home run hitters. Wow. Oslin Alo with 23. Jada Coleman with five, Kayla Kowalik with 11, and Linda Rush at Drexel has 11 home runs. So nice job, big boppers. And launch I, angle, launch I, angle. Well, my six-year-old friend Tate calls them dinger swingers. And so Ooh. I need to give a little love to my little Tate man. Tate. Love it. Good job, Tate. I like that one. Um, so I'm going to go uh, right back with you, Jenny, and talk about the uh, – the home run hitting Jocelyn Allo, um, a two, excuse me, a 522 average. Okay, so that's her regular average. How about with two strikes? Typically, your batting average goes down because the pitcher's in control and you have to be a little more defensive. Oh, no, not for Jocelyn. With two strikes, she's hitting 593, ladies, five, not almost 600. So, as a pitcher, you think you're doing good, you get her to two strikes, you're actually uh, in tr more trouble. And 10 of her 23 home runs with two strikes. Wow. wow. Dang, that's really impressive. So I just want to share, this is the time of year that the Raging Cajuns kind of just slip away from us. They, they get caught in that conference play and they start to disappear from our minds until they magically pop up again in postseason. But uh, they have now won 62 straight consecutive conference series dating back to March 2013 in the Sun Belt. They had a tough series last weekend against Texas State. They ended up winning two out of three. It was a close series. But, you know, they had to keep that streak alive and they are out of conference this weekend. Look out. They head to Tuscaloosa to play the tie. That's going to be a good out of conference series right there. That'll be right. fun. Good job of shagging stats, everybody. Time now uh, down the bottom of the order. It's our player of hey, the week. Oh, wait, Scarborough. Hey. 
Sorry, I, Jenny Dalton did too. So I thought we already heard from you. Go, go, Scarborough, go. It's okay, we can skip me. Um, I'm going to go to UIC's Kayla Weddle. Um, she's in the Horizon League and leads in a ton of categories. So she leads the Horizon League in batting average, slugging percentage, runs, hits, stolen bases, doubles, triples, and home runs. And she is second in RBI. Wow. Guys. She's on my fantasy team. Let me just tell you really quick, all the fantasy league, she is the leader by over 20 points. And we're talking the best hitters in the entire country. She is killing everyone. And little shout out for anyone listening who could potentially draft her. Her coach direct messaged me on Twitter. She wants to keep playing softball. So if anyone can help her keep playing softball, she wants to play Kayla Weddle. Like she's a stud. She's an absolute stud. So if anyone can help her out, she wants right. to keep playing, everybody. Way to go, Kayla. Who's in first place in your uh, fantasy league, by the way? Are you leading the league? We're, we're in playoffs. We're in playoffs right now, okay. so I'll get back to you. Okay. But Jen okay. was not the one seed. Let me just put not that. Not the was one the seed. seed. Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. Duly noted. <laughs> Is that everybody? Did I forget anybody? All right. Player of the week. We've already heard some nominations. Uh, Danielle Williams, right? Uh, Sydney Backstrom, Longwood Lancers, hashtag Wood, uh, had a perfect game. Uh, Avent, uh, Mary Wilson Avent, for the job that she did keeping Georgia in that game, threw over 150 pitches to beat uh, Oklahoma. But did uh, uh, I think we got to go ACC. Didn't somebody have a couple of no-nos? Yeah, yeah. Valerie Cagle threw a couple no-nos. Wow. Uh, went 4-0 and on the week. Through 23 innings pitch without giving up a run. This is a strong group. What do we say? We going Kegel? Yeah. Val Kegel, congratulations. The seven innings podcast player of the week. Good show, everybody. This was fabulous. Hey, don't forget, we're also going to release our seven innings podcast special, True Blue. Uh, that's uh, We're going to be talking umpires and all kinds of good stuff with the umps. Christy Cornwell will be our guest, so look for that later in the week. I thought we were going to call this episode toe to toe as in toe to toe Scarborough versus bro. Then it, then it was going to be Susie Allstaff. Then it was one arm bandits. Then I thought it was going to be poke, poke, poke my eye out emoji. Is that what it is, Michelle? I had emoji, <laughs> but coming in for the walk-off in the bottom of the seventh inning, little man Tate. I think we got to call it dinger swinger. That's our episode this week. Tate. Good job, Tate. Woohoo! He's the Jaden Fields of the Seven Innings podcast this week. The walk-off. Whew, this road to the Women's College World Series is getting good, everybody. Don't forget we got uh, Washington and UCLA highlighting our weekend of activity. So check your local listings, the ESPN family of networks, and we've got you covered throughout the rest of the year. We'll see you next week on the Seven Innings podcast. Two, three, four, five, six. Wait, I'm missing somebody. Who am I missing? Shro, Smitty, Scarborough. Oh, BMO, I'm missing me. <laughs>